0: on v. Lau Yu Long, 1980. on, the plaintiff, and Lau, the defendant, owned separate companies. Aowon owned all the shares in the company on. Lau owned the company Fujifilm. The arrangement. They wanted to arrange an asset purchase. Pao's company's major asset was a building that Lau wanted to purchase. They arranged an asset swap. Pao got shares in Lau's company, and Lau received the building. Purchased happened as follows. Lao caused Fuchip, as the purchaser of the building, to issue shares in favor of Pao On An, in returns for their shares in Xing'an. This way, the defendants Lao bought the building. This was the swap agreement, Agreement 1. The conditions. The swap agreement was accompanied by some conditions that Pao sh- should retain 60% of the shares for at least one year. The second one was that Lau would buy back sixty percent of the shares at two dollars fifty each, so that Powell's investment wasn't wiped out completely if the share price fell. So, was sort of a side agreement to agreement one. Lau had the right to take the shares back at any point, which meant that Powell may have been protected in, which meant that Powell may have been protected in scenarios where the shares would lose value, but it would not benefit from any increase in price. This side agreement deprived Pau of any benefit. But here's the problem. Lau later realized that this agreement might benefit Lau more if the shares rose in value and so refused to carry out the swap. Pau stipulated that the above conditions should be scrapped and replaced with an indemnity provided by Lau against the fall of the shares at value. This would ensure that food chip shares Of Lao would hold that value. The indemnity was later provided. He agreed. So the value of the shares did fall, and Lao refused to honor the agreement. Pao tried to enforce the indemnity, i.e., paying the difference. Lao offered two defenses. First, the indemnity agreement was past consideration. Second, Pao had given no fresh consideration for the second agreement, as he was only doing what he was bound to do under the first agreement. The court held that Lao's demand that Powell should not sell 60% of the shares for one year was a request that carried an implied promise to pay. Promise was later supported by the actual promise to indemnify. Lao's second defense also failed. Powell gave consideration by continuing with the contract, which protected credibility and financial standing to Lao's company. Pow on test. The case updates and modernized the Laplay test as follows. Mere existence or recital of a prior request is not sufficient in itself to convert what is prima facie past consideration into sufficient consideration in law to support a promise, except when um, an act done before the giving of promise to payment, except when a the act must have been done at the promises, promises request. Second. The parties must have understood that the act was to be remunerated either by payment or the conferment of some other benefit and, three, payment or the conferment of a benefit must have been legally enforceable had it been promised in advance. Powan was also a case where the courts examining the issue of pre-existing duty owed to a third party. The companies set up by, set up by the party, Shingon and Fuchip, were third parties. The defendants argued that the arrangements aiming at inducing a party to perform a pre-existing duty by providing additional consideration may be entered into as a result of unfair pressure. Abuse of dominant bargaining position, the defendants argued, can result in additional consideration for pre-existing duty. They said it was illegal and against public policy. Privy Council rejected this argument. Lord Scarman found that Where business are negotiating at arm's length, it is unnecessary for the achievement of justice and unhelpful in the development of the law to invoke such rules of public policy. With respect to economic duress, the Privy Council said in this case there was commercial pressure and not duress. Privy Council identified four factors to consider in assessing whether economic duress was present. One, did the person claiming to be coerced protest? Two. Did that person have any other available course of action? Three, were they independently advised? Four, after entering into the contract, did they take steps to avoid it? All right. That was power